for me, it was, um, I need to speak out about this. For me, it was that whole idea again of like, this is normal. This happens all the time. And, you know, I'd had enough conversations with newer moms at this point to know that I wasn't the only one struggling. But um, I didn't kind of realize what a turn that would take or create for me or just how that would set the course for what I was going to do for the next few years. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today. Today I'm with Melissa who's from Winnipeg in Canada. Melissa is a personal development and life coach, and today we're going to be talking about uh, motherhood, anxiety, and panic attacks. If you're listening, have an open mind, and we hope you can learn something from this episode. Melissa, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. I'm good now. (laughs) Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. So you nailed it. I'm from Winnipeg, Canada which before we started recording, I was saying is right in the middle. We're called the heart of Canada. Um, So that's where you can find me. I live in the country with my husband and two kids. My kids are four and six. I was a um, very kind of traditional girl to start in the sense that I, you know, pursued higher education. I was really driven in my career. I did all these, I was very independent, did all these things for myself. Um, Did get partnered up and have a baby and my whole life changed. And we're going to dig into a lot of that stuff today. But um, I think it's really become my, my passion, my focus, my mission in the last five years to have conversations about the reality of uh, motherhood and what's valued in our society in terms Mm. of how we contribute to society in a caregiving role Mm. um, and how that change really fundamentally affects you on an individual level and like how we we touched on core values already before we're even recording (laughs) anything and just how it's it's a shift in everything you've ever known. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really excited to talk about this because I feel like um, in my experience, I've lived through all the good, bad and ugly of this and um, really created a business out of that. So, um, yeah, mm. I'm excited to, to talk more. Mm, mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Before we get going, we're going to play a quick game called One for One. I'll give you a word. Okay. And you say the first word that comes to your mind. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So the first one is palm trees. Vacation. 
brunch. Ooh, fun. <laughs> passion, passion fruit. Pink. Rainbow. Happy. And the last one is surfing. Ooh, uh, passion. <laughs> Did you use to surf before? <laughs> I, I love surfing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, strangely, living in the center of Canada, I will surf on any vacation I go on. So clearly you're in there with the palm trees, mm-hmm. surfing, passion fruit. Yeah. Um, I love to surf. But I also, um, I'm a paddleboarder here in Winnipeg. So we have a cottage and a lake. We have amazing lakes here. And so I love to paddleboard. Paddleboard. Is that, sorry, what's mm-hmm. that one again? I don't know. <laughs> it's a stand-up paddleboard. So it's like standing on a surfboard with a paddle and just kind of you're not like riding waves necessarily oh, okay. but you're paddling along mm-hmm. mm, yeah that's what i thought it was it's like. like a bridge between a canoe and a kayak <laughs> and a surfboard <laughs> it's like a new sport yeah i was like okay oh. fantastic yeah surfboard geez, i don't know i just see people do it and i'm like yeah that, that that's a skill i just want to be able to do it but i don't want to learn how to do it <laughs> Just need to try. Yeah. Jump in. Mm. <laughs> get wet. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's get going in our conversation. Sure. Can you just tell us a little bit about growing up? I like to talk about people's childhood. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Just anything <laughs> about my childhood. Yeah, so how, how, how was childhood? You know, um, I... I've done a lot of thinking on this topic, and if you'd asked me at other times, I might have a different answer, but um, I just always land on knowing what I know now and being a parent. Um, I was very privileged growing up, and I believe you know my parents did the very best with what they had and the resources that they had, um, and I was an only child, so that for me was a bit of a double-edged sword because while I said like it did come with a lot of privilege, it also came Mm. with a lot of scrutiny (laughs) and pressure because I was the only one, Mm. right? Um, And I feel that, you know, I was was conditioned or um, encouraged to Mm. be a high achiever and um really follow like the traditional education model of which i did and always try my best um but i just i had a lot of anxiety that i Mm. didn't really identify with at a younger age that now when i look back there's certainly aspects of my life that i wish i you know could address but um how can you? Mm. You can't do that, right? And <laughs> no, you can't. You, you can't so, go back, right? Or it's like you, you know. I guess when I say that, it's like there's a lot of things I wish I could go back and tell myself. There's a lot of like, you know, moments where I daydream of like, oh, what would happen if I met me <laughs> twenty years ago yeah. or something like yeah. that, right? What, what, what would I, you? Su- what would I say? And um, yeah, yeah. I just, I really do think that um, for me, the. The blessing of being an only child came a little bit later in my life to the point that like I I love to be alone and I love to have time to myself and I'm very self-reflective and self-aware and I think that's a strength and a gift and it's something mm. that has brought a great deal of meaning into my life and um, 
I kind of credit that to growing up in that way because I've just always been kind of my own best friend. Mm, mm. And I'm very close with my parents. Like I, I have no ill will towards them at all. Again, I, I think all parents really do try the best with the resources they have. Um, mm. We just don't always have all the resources we wish we did, no. right? We don't no. know what we don't know. And um, I definitely think that, yeah, there's ways in which we need to parent to the individual versus just how things have always been done. Yeah, that's a whole big conversation. <laughs> yeah, a whole big conversation. Yeah. And, and when you yeah. talk about, when you look back, there was definitely anxiety there. But at that age, you, so you don't even know, don't know what anxiety is. <laughs> No, no. Yeah. Like, why does my stomach hurt all the time? <laughs> yeah. Why am I going to the bathroom so much? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's only when you get to a certain age, but even then you start thinking it's only happening now. Mm-hmm. But the anxiety probably started way before. <laughs> the the, the yeah. signs for it was always there, but you just didn't link the two. And being raised as being a high high achiever, is that kind of just how you saw your life? Like, this is what, what I'm going to be. I'm going to accomplish so many things and, mm-hmm. and I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, I yes, a box checker for sure. Um, I have a, a whole blog on that topic of being a box <laughs> checker, right? And not necessarily like equating your worth to something outside of yourself. And I really do think that mm. that's enforced in our society, in our world. Um, and I learned that I think in the biggest, biggest way when I became a mother, because I went from again, that high achiever, oh, well, you have a, um, a great degree and a great job and a good income and all these things, you know, but then when you take a step back and choose to focus on maybe your mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health, your family, your home, like, like Mm. caregiving duties, Mm. what happens we don't advance in the workplace we lose money um it's harder to get back into the workforce as a woman Uh, we're not paid appropriately we don't reach leadership positions and we're basically told like you you don't you're a house (laughs) mom yeah you're a housewife (laughs) you're a you're a stay-at-home mom and i don't think there's Mm. any job more important than raising a human i just don't no no and we look at it like oh you're just a housewife as if it's like not that important (laughs) you know we underestimate like how important that job is and it's been like that for years and you know what's really funny is that because these comments do often come from I'll say men. <laughs> um, they do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. In, in my <laughs> world. Do. But also, yeah. And I think it's because it's, you know, we, we do live in a very masculine driven world, capitalism mm. and, you know, the patriarchy. And like, I won't get on mm. a feminist rant here, but my point is that, um, that work is just not valued. And so, um, I think that we we learn to put this pressure on ourselves for not keeping up with a world that's just not designed for us. For the, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I think even for mothers, like when you become a mother, you have to 
well, you have to do the mother role. And then some women might be expected to do the other stuff as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we, <laughs> yeah. Live, we live in a world where, unfortunately, like having a one-income family can be very expensive. Stressful. Stressful. Yeah. Like prices mm. are just, you know, the state of inflation <laughs> and potential recession. Like um, it's not, yeah. I think, what we maybe expected. Like when I thought about like what my adult life would look like, I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't think I'd be homeschooling, working remotely, um, struggling mm. to pay for groceries mm. and gas in yeah. the car, right? Um, you so, just pictured all the fun stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, I just don't think it's something that uh, many of us anticipated and then you get thrown into it. And not only as a parent are you trying to you know, learn this new kid, but you have to learn yourself basically. And and in my case, it was, um, you know, I had really identified with this ambition and, you know, the mm. external validation. And when I didn't have that anymore, and I really was, and due to like a lot of different circumstances that happened to me over the last five years in terms of health issues or family stuff, um, you have to make a choice sometimes. And, you can be time strapped driving to your corporate mm. job and not getting mm. home to see your kids, or you can maybe be financially strapped because you choose to be at home with your kids, but that also then takes out your opportunity to create income. Mm. Mm. So and it's a lot of pressure, I feel like, for women who for women like me in particular, I think who who to be honest, like I was the breadwinner of our couple. Before we had kids. And then now my husband mm. has surpassed me in great deal. <laughs> um, mm. But I guess what I'm what I'm just saying, like, I think for women who um, do this sort of all or nothing switch or decide yeah. to, like, go against the grain, maybe they're just mm. listening to themselves and they want to slow down. It comes with a considerable amount of pressure, and it's not just pressure. Now you're pressure to be the best mom, to never yeah. freak out, don't ruin your mm. kids, keep your house immaculate, <laughs> never cook chicken nuggets, also go get a job yeah. and support your family. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and and then you're in social media seeing all these celebrity parents have all this stuff, and you're like, my house is not that clean, <laughs> and. For you, when you became a mother, you went from corporate world to becoming a mother. And is that when you think, because your your identity was tied to this successful woman, and then all of a sudden, all that was gone. Well, you're still successful, but <laughs> you're no longer working. But when you became a mother, is that when did you start to notice the shift? Because you had to change your whole mindset. In which direction? In terms of like, <laughs> okay, I can't do that anymore. Now I have to do this. Now I have to take care of this little person. Yeah. I don't have to get up in the morning like to go into work. So you have to shift your whole identity. Yeah. I think for me, it was almost before he was born. I was working mm. um, heavy hours in consulting. And, you know, at that time, this was pre-pandemic. So there was a lot of travel involved. Um you know, commuting mm. to work, being in an office. And oh, I was, yeah. you know, winding down that part to prepare to go on maternity leave and just feeling like I just wanted to, like, 
settle down. I just want to take some time. Like I'm not, I'm not interested in that right now in in the working world. And I don't know Mm. what it'll look like for me, but I was just so focused on having my baby. Um, And then Mm. as I, we get a year maternity leave in Canada. So I took that leave from my job and that's very good. Yeah, it is good. It is good. Um, And it's actually changed to, you can opt for 18 months now if you wanted. Um, But uh, I had a lot of pressure, I'd say, from kind of both sides of our family because both my mother Mm. and my husband's mom had stayed home and they felt, you know, that would be the best opportunity for a kid potentially. And and I think we can agree that it generally is. If you have a a happy, stable Mm. home, being at home is more ideal for a kid um, than being, you know, taken to a center or Mm. something like that, but up until a point, because also um, I think it's great for kids to be engaged in learning and groups and things like that. So it's, it's a bit of both, but um, yeah, I just, I really had this desire to focus on the home front. um, And it was also this desire to see what I was capable of creating for myself. So as I said, I had been in consulting Mm. work, for quite some time and I thought you know that I would start my own business at some point so after he was born and I did quit that job I started teaching online and I was really and again this was pre-pandemic mm. but I was very uh focused on having a business that worked around my life and not the other way around I wanted to create something that you know capitalized on my strengths and my skill set and my interest experience, mm. but that I could do mm. myself, right? And that I didn't have to rely on a firm or an organization, um, make my own hours, yeah. whatever that looked like. Uh, but unfortunately, when I got pregnant the second time, I got very ill. And so I really couldn't work. I was sick every day, throwing up every day for almost 10 months. Um And I had a toddler at home who stopped sleeping and I don't think it's all that like special or unique, but it doesn't get acknowledged enough just how, how draining that can be on a human to be perpetually sick, chronically ill, right? We, we know about chronic illness. I don't know why pregnancy Mm. doesn't count (laughs) for that. (laughs) Like what's the difference? right? It's a pretty like fragile state, medically speaking. Um, yeah, I, I think from the mindset of like, uh, when a woman's pregnant, like, she'll be fine, or she'll know what to do. And people that make these decisions awfully, mostly are men as well. So <laughs> it's not a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, um, yeah, for me, like my when your physical health takes a hit like that, like repeatedly, that's hard mentally, right? And so Mm. um, not only that, but it's like, it started to affect every area of my life. You know, my marriage, we were in conflict. I was having trouble parenting the way that I wanted to because I just felt so tapped out. Um, Mm. And uh, with my daughter, I unfortunately had my second experience in traumatic birthing. (laughs) So (laughs) that was another contender. And then I broke my foot at five months postpartum. 
So I had just all of these kind of physical things thrown at me um, that I could never have prepared for. And um, mm. at the time that we're recording this, it's kind of funny because I just I've torn my ACL recently. So I oh. was on crutches <laughs> for a month this summer. Um, I may need surgery. We're working towards that right now. But I'm like I'm rehabbing this major injury. Actually, I have two tears in my knee. And it's just, it's very interesting to me that I keep getting these lessons <laughs> dealt to me, like how to um, really like give up a, almost an aspect of your health and wellness and how to still try to survive and thrive <laughs> in spite of it, right? So that's why it keeps life interesting <laughs> yep that's, that's the point do. right it's like but it's like pick your yeah. mission we all have one we all have one. yeah we all have a curriculum yeah. i say that we have to go through yeah and uh, after your second birth is that when your anxiety started getting bad yeah so i had um with my first baby i had definitely anxious periods um, he was colicky. It was really a tough adjustment at first, but breastfeeding was going well with us for the most part. And like, that wasn't so much of concern. So I, I, for the most part, felt not too bad with him. But with my second, yeah, it was um, now two kids, right? And uh, my oldest was only two years old. I had two kids under two, which is tough. Um and mm. I, uh, breastfeeding was not going well in that case, um, with her. And I think my emotional state affected that as well. Um, and then breaking my foot, I just felt like, I don't know, I, I kind of gave up for a bit. I felt like it's just this dark night of my soul. And yeah, I felt anxious, but I almost mm. like couldn't identify that it was anxiety. It was just like, like my nervous system was so taxed out over the last few years that mm. I was kind of in this like freeze place, right? Um, assuming you know about like, yeah. the nervous system and the different levels of it, right? And so, what? Yeah, you just you just stuck yeah. in one state and you just right. couldn't and get out like, of it. There's fight or flight. There's freeze. There's also fawning, which is like people pleasing. Um, because our nervous systems, we can, we can feel unsafe in relationship. Right. And so we, we have to adapt these behaviors in order to feel more secure. Mm. And so for me, I was in this like free state where I was like, I was immobilized. Like I was just like, I don't know, apathetic, just, like just, like, yeah. I'm <laughs> so, um, it wasn't until, and it's funny because what I have learned since about the nervous system is actually once you start, if you think of it as a ladder, and you're at the bottom, potentially in like a freeze type of state, you have to actually work your way all the way back up. So your body will start to mm. give you more to kind of handle and process as you work your way back up to regulated. So that's why on a healing journey, you can often feel like you're not progressing or getting better sometimes because, yeah. but you actually are. And I would just love to remind people like self-growth isn't linear, right? It's not this like trajectory, right? Yeah. So we make little progress things and then something happens and we might take a step back and we might have to go through something or deal with something or we 
feel these emotions again and say like, oh, I thought this was over. <laughs> it's coming back again, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought I, I thought dealt, I dealt with, that. with that. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that for me, what started to happen was um, once my foot healed and it was like kind of this first little piece of healing started or initiated, um, my body started giving me yeah. more stuff to, to deal with. And that's actually where I shifted into feeling anxious. I would say it was more like after the fact. And so I started um, experiencing like heart palpitations and tingling sensations and just racing thoughts um, for, you know, a, a while before I had the panic attack that kind of set everything else in motion. And what did a panic attack feel like? It was a very interesting experience. I'll call it that. <laughs> I, I, it was a spiritual. It was a spiritual awakening. <laughs> is is the only way that I can kind of reconcile what happened to me because <laughs> it's nothing I had ever mm. experienced before. Um, so, as I said, I was just kind of feeling these physical symptoms, but um, doing okay otherwise. Uh, and yeah. one day, out of the blue, it was a Sunday morning. I felt very tingly in my hands and arms and I didn't have a good sleep the night before. And we had been out actually at a friend's wedding. And so I was just feeling um, probably like, to be honest, like slightly hungover, sleep deprived, um, just <laughs> yeah. not, not well. Right. And so mm. my, my brain honed in on the thought that like, something's not right. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. That's kind of the, the thought that I kept thinking something's wrong with me something repeating wrong with me. yeah and so much so that like i worked i guess myself up into this state where um my body took over like my thoughts kind of just dissipated i wasn't thinking so much as i was witnessing the physical reaction of you know my hands mm. closing up i lost all my my like whole body spasmed I think like that's the only way I can describe it as a muscle spasm where it just contracted mm. and I lost all of the breath in my body. It's like it was like sucked out of me because my stomach concaved, my chest went in, even my cheeks sucked in. And I thought I was dying. I made my husband phone 911. Um, <laughs> I like it's literally nothing like that has ever happened to me. And... Mm. Um, the operator on 911 did kind of get me breathing again, but she said she'd send paramedics to take my vitals and check me out. And like, we have no idea what this is or what's going on. And mm. the paramedic that came to my house, he looked around my bedroom and he said, oh, this looks a lot like my house. My wife had a baby <laughs> six months ago and he could see, you know, like the baby monitor and the books and just kind of the disarray and like, you know, mm. she's struggling and he says, he looked at me and he's like, this is, you know, panic. And we see this all the time. And I thought, well, it's not that's not good. good. Thing. <laughs> yeah. That's not should, right. Should we not something do something about there. it? Yeah. Like, yeah. how can this be normal? Mm. So in one way, it was kind of validating. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not, you know. Um, not going to die. but There's yeah. nothing wrong with me. me. There's nothing wrong with me. But then. On the other hand, I was like, what the hell is wrong with this world that, you know, seemingly 
panic attacks. Normal, whatever that means. But like regular people are just in the throes of this emotional chaos. Mm. What's wrong with society? Mm. Mm. <laughs> that this is where we are at. So I have great um, gratitude for that experience. I have a deep reverence for it. Again, I feel like it was a spiritual intervention. Like, mm. wake up. Yeah. Wake up and start talking. <laughs> yeah. Some some people say, like, when, when something like that happened, like a panic attack, it's like your body telling you, stop whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, something has to change. Mm-hmm. When you're so into this stress mode and you're working yourself up all the time, it's very hard to stop because it just becomes the norm. Like, this is what I do. And the panic attack like that is like your body saying... <laughs> Something has to stop. Something yeah. Has to stop. And, you know, I I just can't get behind um, that way of describing our behavior is like, this is who I am. This is who I've always been, or we've always done it this way. Again, it's like whether you're a parent or an organization or an individual, like you have to be open to seeing it in yeah. any way or trying something different. Recognizing when something's not working. Yeah. It's the recognition part that's difficult. <laughs> Yeah, because mm-hmm. we don't like, right. because that requires you to stop and uh, overworking is something, another thing that we've made normal. Yeah. Yeah. And it might mean that you have to be honest with yourself. And a lot of us don't want to do that. No, no, we don't want to do that. <laughs> to, to say what's what's not working. Like, let me speak that truth now. Like, why am I truly miserable? Mm. That's a hard place to put somebody in if they're not willing to go. No. There. <laughs> no, no, you can't take people there, honest. <laughs> They're ready. Right. And uh, after your panic attack, is that when you kind of woke up and realized, like, something has to change here, that I have to mm-hmm. take a step back on what, whatever it is you're doing at the time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, it was, um, I need to speak out about this. For me, it was that whole idea, again, of, like, this is normal. This happens all the time. And, you know, I'd had enough conversations with newer moms at this point to know that I wasn't the only one struggling. Mm. But um, I didn't kind of realize what a turn that would take or create for me or just how that would set the course for what I was going to do for the next few years. Mm. Mm. Yeah. As well as that, so you have this realization something has to change, but your mind is used to a different Melissa. So did you find that challenging? Well, I can't say I did it by myself. I had help of cognitive behavioral therapy, a great therapist. I went through birth trauma healing. I went through shamanic healing, Reiki. Like I I went down Mm. any avenue I could to heal myself. Like nothing was off the table. I really got into meditation Mm. and back into yoga, but more specifically kundalini yoga. And I just started letting my soul whispers or desires, nudges lead the way. Like if I was interested in something, I'd kind of pursue that. And it just started like taking me out of that place and, and creating momentum and opportunity that was aligned with what I wanted to like the message I wanted to share and just the kind of work I wanted to create and birth into the world. Mm. And in relation to things like mom guilt, Mm. 
Did you have a lot of that? (laughs) 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 Or do you still have that now? This is one of my favorite (laughs) topics. So um, (laughs) the thing with guilt is guilt, like any emotion, we have to pretend we have a, a magic dial on it. Because would you ever want to completely eradicate guilt? No, right? No, no, you, you need it. <laughs> you, you need it because that's a compass, yeah. right? Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I feel bad, mm. right? Like if we don't have that sort of ability, we'd be jerks. <laughs> so yeah. guilt, guilt serves a point. But at the same time, guilt turned up to the highest notch can be de- debilitating, it can keep you frozen and stuck because you're afraid to ruffle feathers or disappoint mm. somebody or, you know, have to have somebody else sit with an uh, uncomfortable feeling. And I think the thing with guilt is a lot of the times it's us actually absorbing another person's discomfort. Oh, yeah. And that's why we feel guilt because we will feel like, ooh, I just hurt you by what I said or ooh, you don't like that I did that. Or like, even in the in the case of a kid, like, you don't want me to go out for lunch with my friend right now. Like, you want mommy to stay and play with you. But like, what good would it do my mental health to be living in that constant guilt stage? You have to be able to turn it up and down on the mm. dial. And so I could feel... I could feel really guilty if I had gone out for lunch with a friend every day that week, but also knowing that's the only lunch day to have that week, I can turn my guilt down on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But often with mothers, a lot of women would experience mom guilt out of, because there's this perception that once you become a mother, this is your identity, this is what you do, so. And you know what? (laughs) A big pet peeve of mine. It's so reinforced every single year on Mother's Day where you see the cards or the Facebook posts that people write. It's like, my wife is so selfish. Selfish. Sorry, selfless, not selfish. (laughs) Selfless, right? Like, this mother is so selfish. She gives of herself. She always puts others before her, you know? And it's like this overextension creates a martyr. And is that what we want out of our mothers, out of motherhood? Like that you have to, you have to die for your child, like at the expense of yourself, you have to Mm. give up everything and put yourself last consistently to be a good mother. Is that what a good mother is? That's a recipe for a burned out mother who ends up yelling at her kids and causing more strife because she's not fulfilled. It's a recipe for disaster. And that's where I think a lot of women have ended up. Mm, because with that guilt also comes comparison. So you're always looking at what other mothers are doing. <laughs> and you like if, say, one mother is kind of, well, has a child and still having her life, you start judging yourself mm-hmm. compared to them. Or you start judging her. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it can go either way. Or it's like, I think we, you know, we initially, I think we project onto that person. So initially, we might say something like, oh, well, you know, she must be nice for her. Mm. She doesn't put her kids first the way I do. She must not care about her family. Like, I just think that's more of the tendency to like judge that other person. But in reality, that judgment's reflecting back on you. 
And you're saying like, I think with comparison, we need to say like, I'm seeing something that that woman has that I desire and that's okay. Like two things can be Mm. true. We can like our life and we can want more of something. Mm. Right. And so when we compare, I think that it's kind of missing the point. You know, if you're comparing yourself to someone instead of casting judgment or some sort of like qualifier over who they Mm. are, um, maybe ask yourself if it's actually something that you're lacking and you're projecting that. Often that's what we do. (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. Because it's easier to, instead of asking myself, like, what am I liking? It's easier for me to point the finger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What some of the motherhood challenges did you have? Well, I was actually just going to say something in addition to that is I think that a lot of time... We just want to blame something, right? So we can blame our lack of sleep. We can blame our kids. We can blame our partner. We can blame all the circumstances. But we also have to look at the root, right? And we have to... (laughs) That's a big hole to get into. (laughs) Get honest, yeah. And, And know that like you're the only one ultimately responsible for your own happiness and nothing in this life is guaranteed and is safe and secure and like things can be lost or taken away at any point and Mm. so I just feel like if you're not actively taking responsibility for living as your best self creating your best life regardless of the circumstances you won't be happy you won't find mm. that fulfillment, right? Mm. And then what happens is then we we make our children our happiness. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Outside of ourselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a lot of pressure on a child. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. But it, it's, it's one of those things the child doesn't know that, obviously, until it gets older. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Then it's uh, and that's where therapy. Yeah, comes in, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like then, then yeah. it's out of self. <laughs> Wouldn't be nice to circumvent that process. <laughs> then it's out of self. We have to try and understand why it feels certain ways, and yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. Which I think will always be part of being human. Mm. Right? Parents will miss. Oh yeah, we will make mistakes. Absolutely, mm. you're learning and growing alongside like I've never been a mother before and it's honestly it's like every year with my son who's the oldest every year he gets older it's like I'm like new again yeah. because I've never been a mother to a six-year-old to a seven to an eight to now an or an 18 year old one day mm. right so it's like you're constantly yeah learning. it's constant growth that can also be very tiring <laughs> and, and no one's <laughs> teaching you this like no one's teaching you yeah. how to raise kids like you just learning on a job pretty well not a job but yeah you're learning as the days come by so yeah right and for high achieving women that is i think where the guilt comes in Mm. because they have this superwoman and i have it too or working on it superwoman mentality it's difficult to ask for help or support Mm. um you feel shame around that potentially and just the kind of 
inequality that we face in terms of roles still. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Mm. It's a lot of constant change. <laughs> with your coaching, do you, you work with a lot of women and do you help them mm-hmm. being a life coach? Do you help them find a way to make that transition? Yeah. I mean, my coaching has evolved over the last few years for sure, because I was working yeah. very much at first with women similar to me who had, you know, kind of felt like they lost themselves, were working on identity type of issues. Um, and now uh, it's changed to more, It's I call it self-leadership, because at the core, self-leadership, mm. whether you're running a house, a family, an organization, a business, the skills boil down to the same core pieces, right? Wherever you go, there you yeah. are. And so that's really yeah. my sweet True. spot of working <laughs> with women now is is on their self-leadership skills and how they are, again, embodying their, their best self in their life, in their work, and how they relate to others, and how they take care of themselves, the way they think about themselves. Mm you know, perception, judgment, it's all, it's all part of um, the work that I do now. Mm. And what some of the things people struggle with the most? I think uh, knowing where to focus as a whole, because when you have a full life, Mm. it's very, it can feel so overwhelming, right? Or you can feel like you're always, you're doing everything, but nothing really well. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of people struggle with where to actually put their energy and attention. And um, something that I've really loved working with women on recently is cycle syncing and starting to understand and tap into their own body and their own cycle and giving themselves permission to focus on what they need to during those specific times because it, it will be different and it will fluctuate. And I think, again, part of our problems in the world or that like we are and a lot of times women trying to keep up with again a man's world based on a man's body right based on male uh lifestyle habits Mm. and we don't operate the same way we operate on a 28 day cycle men reset every 24 hours it's it's very (laughs) different our brains are different our hormones are different and so i think that um Yeah, when we can really start to understand where we need to place our energy and attention to give us these, like the the feelings that we're craving. So whether that's to feel productive and successful, or maybe it's to feel rested and taken care of, Mm. um, we need to know how to do those things and how to make them happen for us so that we actually get the feelings we're craving. Because our feelings really are what drive our behavior and I talk a lot about manifesting and that process and like the whole point of it is to tap into and create the feeling that you're desiring because it's like when you think of buying a house or a car it's not like I want this house because it looks good on the outside it's like no I want this house because I can put on an amazing Christmas dinner. I can watch my family grow up here. We'll have our friends and we'll feel connection and happiness and joy. You know what I'm saying? Mm, So it's like, what feelings will this house elicit for you? And then creating those feelings or creating opportunities 
for those feelings mm. in your day, in your week, in your month, whatever. Mm, mm. There's, there's a great little book um, I picked up it's called that uh, feeling is the secret <laughs> mm. from like, I think it was published in 1940s or something. <laughs> But like that, it's one of the old authors, well, in the 40s, yeah, he talks, like that, talks about feeling what you want, not just thinking about it. That's wishful thinking. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's not also enough to just, yeah, sit and meditate. You actually have to take action (laughs) and like start working (laughs) towards solving the problem or figuring out the next step or something like that. Mm, mm. I wanted to ask you, one of the things I heard you talk about, it's called Love After Love Poem. Mm. Do you remember that poem? I do, yeah. Yeah, what made you read it? <laughs> oh, that's coming home to your own door. Mm. I feel like that poem elicits such an emotional response in me. Um, it was important to me at the time of this panic attack, actually, that poem was in a book that my dad gave me maybe 10 years prior to that day. And inside was a note saying, you might not read this today, but one day you will find it. And I found that book (laughs) right when I needed to. And that poem was there. And the poem is about taking all the the love notes off the mirror, like stripping away all the things that you thought you were attached to and seeing Mm. yourself and letting that be enough. It's just a Mm. beautiful poem. It sounds very deep. (laughs) It is. I could find it and read it if you'd like. Yeah, (laughs) it sounds very very deep. Is it long? Can you read it? No, I'll read it. Just bear with me. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Where is my book? The book is um, Coming to Our Senses by John Kabat-Zinn. And I will find it here. Okay, I found it. Mm. Okay. Love After Love Poem. Yes. By Derek Walcott. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes, Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Mm. (laughs) Amazing. And the chapter of the book is called Arriving at Your Own Door. And that concept for me, I think, is just really powerful. Like, everything you need is inside of you already. Mm. Mm. And and for you... You just have to be willing to look. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the, the, no. you often hear, well, teachers would often say, like, everything you need is already inside of you. You just have to look and listen to it. And then it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I mean. 
and trust. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But when we're when we're so told to look outside of ourselves for answers, right? Mm. Go to this expert. Go to this school to be trained. Outside, like seek mm. seek outward, right? Mm. Why would you trust yourself? Or even, hey, I feel this way. Well, you shouldn't feel that way. Oh, we learn to distrust our emotions. We learn to distrust our thoughts and feelings. Mm. And so we end up as adults not being able to tap into that intuition, not being able to have self-trust, always asking everyone else for their opinion. What should I do? What do you think? What would you do? Mm. Right? Definitely, definitely. And I think we, as parents, parents unconsciously do it to the children. But like that, if you don't know what you're doing it, it's difficult, <laughs> especially when it comes yeah. to feelings and girls be a certain way, boys have to be in a certain way. And then when you get not become an adult, that feeling is a stranger to you. <laughs> it's like, why do I feel this way? Absolutely. <laughs> and it starts so simply, like, again, my kids are so young and how I've sort of embodied this concept in our home is I just say like, what does your body say? You know, even if it's just like bathroom cues, do you have to go to the bathroom? Like, listen to your body or like, are you full? Listen to your body and just repeating that. Because mm. it's like one day, my hope is that, you know, their conscious, their little voice. Yeah. Says, oh, don't do that. Right. Don't do that. That's dangerous. Or, you know, listen to me, listen to your body. And they listen. I would, I would love that. That would be my dream. I, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, you have to, it's, it's a practice for them as well. It's a practice for adults, but it's a practice for kids, but it's good to kind of get that practice in their mind because yeah by the time you become an adult it's all in your head <laughs> right yeah yeah i saw on your blog you one of your questions is three okay. questions to ask yourself every day what's the mm. what's the three questions do you ask yourself every day <laughs> uh i wrote that blog a really long time ago i think it's like who it's am long... i what do i need and what do i need to let go of oh. and those are three questions that I still do find relevant. Yeah. So who am I? Yep. What I need to let go of. What do I need? What do I need? What, what do I need? Mm. Yeah. And what do I need to let go of? And those are great journal prompts for, for the morning. And it doesn't take long. It's a step of remembering who you are. There's that self-trust. Like, I know myself. I love myself. Maybe it's affirmations type of thing or just developing the belief mm. that you know yourself right because mm. again like talking about if you if you feel like you don't or that you can't trust yourself like you need to develop the belief that you can mm. and mm. so uh, who am i i think is a great question to start to pick away at like it might come out first as typical labels yeah i'm a mom i'm a wife i'm a mm. daughter i'm a friend i'm a consultant <laughs> yeah you know, yeah paddleboarder <laughs> yeah <laughs> but then it's like i'm it might then you just keep kind of writing i am love i am peace i am presence like whatever mm. yeah. comes out and then what do i need on any given day that's going to be a different answer but yeah. it's essential to ask yourself and again build self-trust if you can ask yourself what you need and then follow through by giving it to yourself like trust mm. slowly mm. Mm. 
in that question. And you also start to enforce that belief of I'm worth it. I'm worth my own in- investment, whether it's time, energy, money. Mm. Mm. And, and I think with them questions as well, when you start off, you're always going to have your typical labels of who you think you are. And if you keep doing it long enough, <laughs> those answers will change. You'll get, you'll get yeah. past the labels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you'll get past the labels. And that's when it's like, oh. <laughs> that's when you start getting interested, correct? Remember who you are. Yeah, the interesting okay. answers. You arrive at your own door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, my mind's gone blank. <laughs> I don't know who I am. And uh, what makes you happy? Oh, summer, <laughs> warm air, <laughs> my kids, my husband, my family, being in nature, being mm. in my house. I love my house <laughs> because of the feelings it creates for me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's one thing you're proud of? I would say um, I'm proud of the self-growth that I've done over the last five years. I'm proud of the choices I've made. And while they've gone against the grain or have been difficult or maybe weren't always the quote unquote right ones, they've kept me going Mm. down the path. And so I think I'm proud of the fact that I chose to be honest with myself. Totally, yeah. That's great. That's normally my last question, but I just remembered, sorry, one more question for you. Sure. So before you had children, your belief was you're a go-getter. And then, Mm -hmm. so that was your belief before you have children. And that was the external belief. So do you know what was deep down driving that belief? I would say kind of internalized capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) No, for you, not society. Yeah, no, internalized internalized capitalism. Yeah. Like internalized validation or value based on output and production. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. (laughs) That our worth is not equated to, again, labels, right? Our worth is so much more at just the most basic level. We are so worthy, but we take away our worthiness all the time based on how well we're doing in certain aspects of life. Totally. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page, Don't Be Afraid to Talk, or DM me on Instagram. The show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode. If you haven't already, please download, leave a rating, and share with your friends. You might just reach the person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I am James Lumumba, signing off with gratitude.